Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome everyone to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are on the road to WrestleMania, we are on the road to crowning a brand spanking new intercontinental champion very, very soon. Back in our Icapro powered DeLorean, we go to the Halcyon Days. Post Hulkamania, pre new generation in early 90s WWF. And who be we? I be Tom Campbell, fake Geordie, radio presenter. I be with the bear in the big blue bar cage, the head pen of Cultaholic. He doesn't need a pencil because he gets it right every single time. There in America is a Justin Henry. I feel a little bit bad because I have the best voice of the two of us today, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> I have to apologize for being the throatiest man on the planet, which is a bit like Mike Tyson being the baddest man on the planet. Um, it's uh, I was uh, a big thank you if you listened to Cultaholic and you attended North Wrestling in Newcastle on Sunday night for our big St. Patrick's Day show. May have slightly lost my voice in the process, I'm afraid. Uh, it's, it's barely noticeable. You sound... You sound just slightly more mortal. I, uh, I, I, I feel like I felt it go as I was announcing El Fantasmo to the ring. Well, that's an honor for El Fantasmo, then. <laughs> I, mean, you put your, put I haven't your heart told him so, but he might agree. But it was when El Fantasmo came out, and I and I gave it the big old El Fantasmo, and I, and I heard, oh, you almost hear your voice go, doink. Okay, we've pushed, we've pushed this too far. Well, speaking of voices and cultaholic people, uh, that's that's actually a great segue into a recent occurrence. Uh, we recorded this show on Monday, the 18th of March, 2019, and uh, th- about two hours ago, we released this video. We, we had the Captivating Career series on on our YouTube channel, which which you're familiar with, where we take a wrestling legend and cap- and uh, tell the story of their entire wrestling career. Ah, uh, these are wonderful videos. If you've not watched them yet, make time to do so. They are wonderful videos. They are edited by Owen Walson. I write the scripts for them, and our good friend Jack King is the narrator for them, and Jack does an exquisite job with them. He's just a wonderful, wonderful talent, great voice, natural enthusiasm. However, he may have erred slightly during the, during the re, a recitation of the script that I sent in. Oh, really? <laughs> um, well, last week we... We released the Triple H video, and uh, now you know Triple H is from the New England area of the United States. He grew up in Nashua, New Hampshire, and in the script I wrote Nashua, comma, NH. 
which means, you know, New Hampshire, obviously. And Jack may have said North Hampshire by accident in the, in the final draft completed copy of what was sent out over the YouTube channel there. <laughs> so I so we all had a little bit of a laugh, and like Jack, Jack felt a little bit bad about it. Like, no, no, it's okay. It's, it's kind of funny. This week he may have topped himself. Oh, God. In the Andre video. Now, this one wasn't even a place name, which <laughs> I do find humor in watching the... And watching my friends from across the ocean there try to say American place names. Because <laughs> invariably, in there's always at least one mistake per month. Like one time, Pachiti referred to Oregon as origin, which made me laugh. But in this case, in this case, in the, in the introduction to the Andre, I try to make this as magnanimous as possible because it's Andre. So I'm doing the very best job I possibly can on this. I'm trying to use some flowery prose in there. And I think I did a pretty good job. Jack did an otherwise excellent job reciting this, except for <laughs> one little <laughs> kind of a – I'm still laughing about hours later. I wrote the word chasmic footprints, as in the rest of us are trying to follow in Andre's chasmic footprints. Now, when I say chasmic, like I footprints mean, the size of a chasm. Yes, so deep that you know, they're almost impossible to fill adequately. Andre was just that legendary. The few giants could could come close to matching the intensity and the importance and the magnificence of Andre the Giant. Now I'm watching something and like, well, I hope he doesn't botch any place names in this video this week. As soon as I thought that, within 10 seconds, Mr. King says, and I'm quoting here, charismatic footprints. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've seen some really nifty shoes. But um, I've never known any charismatic shoes. <laughs> I paused, laughed for about five straight minutes, and and then got on our workplace messenger thing to message him, Jack. <laughs> and, and, and I think dread filled his soul immediately. <laughs> like, oh no, what do I do now? <laughs> charismatic footprints. <laughs> Even he was like laughing deliriously at the, at the idea of footprints somehow bearing the quality, the virtue of charisma. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's not out the realms of possibility, but I'm, I think that's, <laughs> that, that it, might be my favorite one, my favorite blunder. If you put a hot microphone next to Andre's shoe prints, he could easily outdoor the rock on the mic because those are some charismatic footprints. I love that so much. I may, I may name my 2019 fantasy football team Charismatic Footprints in honor of that. <laughs> so that video is live now? It is live now. I, I hope they don't edit that. I hope it's there forever. Oh, I hope they never touch it. Jack, don't touch it. Just, just let it be. There will be an answer. Let it be. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Hey, but look, we can't talk about retrospects that are made today because we are retrospecting in the past sir we are chronologically critiquing thank you osw review the history of monday night raw from 1993 onwards so where and when are we this week uh this show was broadcast october 4th 1993 it was taped one week earlier at the veterans memorial coliseum in new haven connecticut the second part of a three-part taping which was 
which was kind of new ground for Monday Night Raw at the time, although Superstars and Challenge had been adhering to the three-taping schedule long by this point. So, but still, this is new ground for Raw, and i got to say, the crowd's still pretty jacked for the second hour. They were very up for it, really. I think because, I mean, the, the match that they put on, the main the main match tonight, the body of tonight's show, very much worth staying up and jacked for. Uh, it was it was certainly quite the affair. Uh, absolutely. And, and it is literally half the show just as one match. And I got to say, compared to a lot of other shows, especially in recent weeks that we've done here, this one really flew by. And it, do, it does help if it's one match mainly. I think. Well, it, it does. It does. Uh, the main match, of course, being uh, the much hyped Intercontinental Battle Royal. Yes, it's a 20 man battle royal in which the last two men standing will face off on the following week's show, taped the same night, for the vacated Intercontinental Championship. And if you've just joined us for this week's episode, uh, the belt was held in abeyance, as they would say in modern times, after Shawn Michaels. In kayfabe, I refuse to make certain title defenses, so Jack Tiny stripped him of the belt. But in real life, failed a steroid test, which he adamantly denies knowingly taking the stuff that you would test positive for. So there was a real-life controversy here, and Sean actually quit the company for a period of time and would not be seen again until November. So it's, so it's interesting times, um, and this is a story that we will come back to Many weeks down the road on the Cultaholic Classic Raw review, absolutely. But um, tonight is all about this battle royal, as you said, to determine who is going to fight for the uh, IC belt. Battle royals have a wonderful place in the in the charismatic history of <laughs> <laughs> of professional wrestling. And I will put it to you, Justin Henry. Do you have a favourite battle royal? Well, you posed that question to me earlier today, and I had to think about it a little bit. I mean, I love Battle Royals as a rule just because there's a certain factor of unpredictability to them. But I don't know if I had an outright favorite. It, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to pick. This one I actually liked a lot, but one that I think doesn't get a lot of love will actually come two years from now for still doing this show. It was a Battle Royal to determine who would face Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title on Monday Night Raw in October 95. That one had uh, a lot of nifty high spots in it from Marty Jannetty, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Owen Hart, 123Kid, and various others. It was a very fast-paced, very exciting battle royal, I remember. Although, I, I, I got to say, it is hard to pick you know, an absolute favorite battle royal. Do you have one? Uh, well, being British, it has to be the battle royal at the Royal Albert Hall. Like uh, the, I mean, it's 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 obvious. It's it's a very obvious answer. I get that, but there's more there's more to it for me than just the fact that it's a battle royal in in England. It was it was a real showcase of just how big wrestling was becoming over here. It was a real watermark moment because it mm. it kind of puts me in mind of the arrival of NXT UK uh, in the last year, in the sense that there was a very particular style of british wrestling that occurred here and always sort of in the in the in the background was the american star wrestling that was always happening and this was back in the 90s this was like the first acknowledgement of like how big american wrestling was in england the fact they put this exclusive show on on sky on on exclusively on sky television 
uh, in such an iconic venue. And, and it wouldn't be just a casual throwaway house show because you look at the lineup for this battle royal. It is star heavy. It really is. And, and, it, and the focus of it is around the British Bulldog. You know, and it's just and what more could you want from from a show like that to have Davy Boy Smith, like your iconic British superstar, being the the focal point of this massive WWF show in the UK, and also the Royal Albert Hall as a venue was so distinctive and so fresh mm-hmm. like it didn't have like a big staging setup you literally came down the stairs <laughs> like you were like amongst the crowd as you came through the entrance and i love to this day it's such a wonderful aesthetic watching at the end of the match andre the giant even andre the giant was there watching andre mm-hmm. the giant chase earthquake and jimmy hart up those stairs at the royal albert hall it's just incredible and it's just and and i think more less so much i mean the, the match itself was fine it was a it was a, it was an exciting battle royal but it was more for what it stood for which was the mm-hmm. uh, the 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 the, the acknowledgement of just how important british wrestling fans were to an american wrestling product wasn't the prize for that battle royal like some sort of antique Keurig coffee maker? It was. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> it mean. I mean, the trophy probably could have been converted into a coffee maker. The trophy looks like it was bought on the cheap from, uh, from a shop around the corner. With <laughs> and there's purists going, "Oh, don't disrespect the battle royal trophy." Come on, it was rubbish. We all know it was. <laughs> uh, I do agree with you about the Royal Albert Hall. I'm not sure if this is sacrilege saying this, but it kind of did remind me of the Manhattan Center in a way. Oh, do you know what? Not sacrilege at all. I totally get it. I totally get it. There is that beautiful style about it. It's a very intimate setting with a very raucous crowd. It's a combination of elegance and rawness at the same time that just made it so unique. No, I love it, and I'm glad you appreciated it for the same reason as well. I'd forgotten all about that match when I was thinking of Battle Royals that I was going to choose for this. It was either going to be my pick of that obscure Raw Battle Royal or the Fight for Your Right Battle Royal where you enter over the top Oh, room. my God, the reverse <laughs> I, I Battle kid. Royal. I, I kid, I kid. That was, that was atrocious. That was that certainly was a battle. thing that happened. That was. Thank God we're not reviewing impacts for this. Adam, don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Heavens no. If it's 2005, early 06, okay, maybe, but beyond that, no. So we start with this 20-man 20 20 battle royal, or as Girl Monster might call it, the 20-the-man over the top of battle royal. <laughs> a total, get this, Justin, as Vince McMahon tells us, a total of 5,795 pounds in that ring once everybody gets in there. Which now, is I did some math roughly here. the weight of the tongue of a blue whale. Really? Yes. That's a heavy tongue. <laughs> or heavy wrestlers. I'll let you decide. I did a little math here. I divided that by 20, which isn't hard. And I came up with 290 pounds per wrestler on average. Now, I see maybe four, pe- four, four maybe five people in this match that surpassed 290. Maybe six. I, I see Adam Bomb's name in there. But there were some true heavyweights in this match. And a lot of them are actually gone very early on, as we'll soon discuss. The total field for this match includes Razor Ramon, Diesel, Mr. Perfect, the 123 Kid, Marty Jannetty, Mabel of Mental Emission, but no Mo, 
MVP, which is the Brooklyn Brawler dressed as a baseball player in face paint. Uh, Tatanka, Erwin R. Scheister, Bam Bam Bigelow, Adam Baum, Bastion Booger, both Quebecers, Jacques and Pierre, Bob Backlund, Owen Hart, Rick Martell, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Giant Gonzalez, and Macho Man Randy Savage. So, how do you feel about this field overall there, Tommy? I mean, we, we, we discussed this a bit last week, and my my issue is that the, the Intercontinental Championship, as I said last week, is a bit of a stepping stone belt. And I feel like mm-hmm. the people that compete for that belt, and, and they break this rule to this day, and it annoys <laughs> me, people who compete for that belt should be people on the way up rather than just kind of people who are near or at the top with not much else on. You know, the fact, so there's some people in there who feasibly should be in there, you know, like the one, two, three kid who is easily somebody that you could, that you could start to build towards that belt. But then you've got people like Bob Backlund in there and Jimmy Snooker and arguably Randy Savage, who shouldn't be competing for the IC title. Well, you're also trying to build the prestige of it by having these familiar faces in there so that when the eventual winners do win, they're doing so at the expense of these well-known stars and giving them a little bit of a rub that way. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, had had like a former WWF champion actually won the whole thing, I guess that although would have the, been frustrating. Although, although, to be fair, when I was nine years old watching this match, I wasn't thinking that Jimmy Snook and Bob Backlund had much rub to give, even though I knew they were stars of yesteryear. Savage, yes, because he was a little bit more modern. But Snook and Backlund, eh, they had a lot of dents and dings in them at this point. Well, there's quite a few of these lads that have floated back in the last couple of weeks that they're putting back out there again. People like Jimmy Snooker. So I don't know whether it's like a um, whether it's just a lack of available people, whether it's um, they they need some old superstar power, whether they don't feel like there's enough. So bringing these names back probably in their mind helps cement the new generation. Um, but just I don't see the value in, in bringing Jimmy Snooker back. In my opinion. Especially after watching that match last week with Paul Van Dale. Oh my God, that was something else. Jeez. Just like, and that <laughs> itself, like it doesn't do anything for anybody. It's more hand checking than a Tecmo World Wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> so this, but I'll tell you what though, Macho Man Randy Savage was, was good fodder in this match. I think I have every <laughs> former heavyweight main eventer in this match. He was, he was clearly the best fodder. So Savage hits the ring at the end. He's the last guy in the hammer, so to speak. You have Gonzalez standing there just pointing around at everybody. So Savage hits him with a double axe handle immediately from behind because Savage is a coward. And then everybody gangs up on Gonzalez and throws him out because they're because we're all concerned for the quality of this match. So Gonzalez is out. That was actually his last WBF match. Was it really? Is that the last time we see him? Uh, he appears at tapings for the other shows around this time. He does an angle where he chases away, I believe, it may have been Adam Bomb, because Bomb at this point was had been handed over to Harvey Whippleman, which is quite a downgrade from Johnny Polo. So we were spared a Gonzalez-Adam Bomb match, and thank God for that. <laughs> right now, if it were to have ever happened. So Gonzalez is the first one gone, and then for like three or four minutes after that, there's no eliminations. It's just random kicking and punching for a while with a little bit of minimal wrestling going on. Although one, two, three kid had 
had enough room in the corner to throw, throw some spinning heel kicks at MVP's face. It was kind of an odd moment there where Bastion Booger was at the bottom of this dog pile near the ropes, and Vince wasn't sure who that was underneath him. He says, well, that's Booger. And Vince says, Booger's on the bottom where you might expect he may be. <laughs> Bobby Heaton was, was good fodder in this because he... Um, when he was asked initially who he was going to pick to win the whole thing, he just kept saying, I pick Booger. I pick Booger. And we're like, ah, we see what you did there. And and later he clarifies the joke even further when he says, I'm, I'm taking the Quebecers to win this. And Vince says, you said you were going to pick Booger earlier. And he says, well, I was. I, I wasn't referring to this match. <laughs> Keenan just being Bobby. He was very good in this. Even at the beginning, actually, very back at the very start of the match where he's hyping up the Battle Royal. And he's saying, like... You know, it's not going to be the big man that wins this. It's not going to be the little man. It's going to be the lucky man. And it's suddenly, it's 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 little lines like that that give you that I give you that hopefully already ingrained idea that anything's possible, and it just mm-hmm. reinforces that anybody could win this. And then Vince takes him the task for uh, winning a battle royal in Chicago many years ago, probably back in the '60s, by hiding under the ring and waiting until the very end before running and throwing out the last guy there. And the man. Is still like so angry about it. Thirty years ago, goes, "How could you?" <laughs> and he says, "Hey, I want a lot of money. Didn't get hurt." <laughs> Love it. So after about a three or four minute gap here, bodies start flying. Diesel dumps Mabel out in a pretty impressive visual. That was good, and it was great because it took a long time. It was like watching somebody take take its time to to fell a tree. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and Mabel resisted for a while. Diesel just kept. Kept at it, kept chopping away, and then finally managed to get him over the ropes. It's a great spot where, great spot where Savage and Perfect have this really spirited sequence by the ropes where they're just like tearing into each other like hated enemies, although they were the best of friends and both baby faces at this point, just reinforcing what's at stake here. And also, it kind of continues to build that thing of why is Mr. Perfect being a, a bit of an arse lately? Because <laughs> he so has angry. been really so. <laughs> He's doing the Kyle O'Reilly angry face all the time thing. This is also the longest match he's had on Raw in about five weeks. <laughs> Pretty much. By this point, it's already the longest match he's had. Bit of a shocker at this point is Razor throws IRS out. IRS is the third one gone, which is, you know, given how, how Iris was part of the build-up last week, he was hiding in that boiler room with his you know, two unhappy assistants talking about this. Like, you know very well that I could win the Intercontinental title, Vince, even though he hadn't ever. And, he, and already he's gone. Got a good pop as well. Like, they really came alive to watch IRS get chucked out. Because they hate IRS. That's very true. Booger launches the one, two, three kid over the ropes. Nice little callback there as Owen and Booger were going at it in the corner. Call back to their days in Stampede Wrestling when Owen Hart feuded with Mock and Singh. Ah, and some... I didn't know that. Yes, uh, Singh was quite a monster heel in those, in, in those dying days of Stampede and you just get a lot of uh, genuine heat for carving Owen Hart's face up with a fork. Jeez, it's Booger, that's exciting. His Booger was once a scary heel instead of a guy who was just disgusting. So uh, after that, Perfect manages to get Diesel out. Then, and then Martel dumps out the two uh, older wrestlers, Backlund and Snuka, almost in succession. Bigelow launches Perfect out of the ring, and I mean, he throws him. Bomb backdrops Marty Jannetty out. Bigelow managed to call, managed to get, managed to throw Tatanka out by pulling the top rope down. Smart move. Savage dumps Booger. 
Razor clotheslines Bam Bam out with authority. Oh, and that was huge. In fact, all of Razor Ramon's eliminations all got big reactions, it felt like. Well, yeah. well next to Savage, he's the biggest star in this match, easily. Well, both of those, I mean, got the biggest pops, I think, for everything. I mean, that bit when, like, that clothesline, which took out Bigelow, got a massive reaction. Yeah, Bigelow was quite aerodynamic for a man his size, as we've, as we've all... We've all been accustomed to seeing throughout this entire year's worth of action, and even before then. And Vince notes that Savage loves competition. That's why he left the following year. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Getting tired of sitting at the table. And he was. That was a shoot. We're getting out of the nitty-gritty here. We're, we're about eight guys left. Owen drop kicks MVP over the ropes. This is, this is, the, this is the most Owen's ever kicked ass in a match at this point in WWE, I should point out. Up until now, he, he's just been Bret Hart's brother who doesn't win very many matches, which was a crime, obviously. Yeah, like, like criminally underutilized was Owen Hart, I do believe, in this early. But it, but it was fine because they would retcon that in years to come, so that's fine. And they would make up for it very soon, just you wait. Mm -hmm. Jacques throws Owen out after that. So after Owen goes out, we have kind of a group conference here. Adam Bomb, the Quebecers, and Rick Martel all huddle up in one corner. And Razor and Savage are on the other side, kind of just pensively looking at each other. They've had a long history, these two. Razor and Savage haven't always gotten along. Razor used to beat them up routinely about a year earlier. But looking at each other like, well, we have to band together now. It's us versus them. And the crowd is, like, really heated at this point, trying to encourage both men to join forces Wonder Twin Powers activate against this cadre of villains. And that's when it hits me. We have a Ring of Honor tag team champion, a current one, in this match right now. Oh my god, we do, don't we? He, he, was, holding, he, he was holding the WWF tag team titles in 1993. And as of, as of this recording, PCO, Quebecer Pierre, is one half of the Ring of Honor world tag team champions. Isn't it amazing when you look at who is in that ring? And if you were to say back then, one of these guys will be wrestling in 2019 and they'll be a, a relatively big star on on, on, a, on the circuit. And it's Pierre from the Quebecers. He'd be surely in that ring the least likely. It is very, very bizarre to say the very least. But Wrestling's wonderful like that though, isn't it? It, it truly is. And, and the fact that the men that he beat for the belts, Jay and Mark Briscoe, were, I believe, eight and nine years old at the time of this match. Oh, really? really? Jeez. They were probably watching this. They may have been not knowing that. God. In, 24, in 26 years, we're going to be standing at ringside, and the chubbier Quebecers going to come running at us, and we're going to backdrop him so that his lumbar region hits the ring apron. And he'll be 51 years old when he takes that bump. God, wrestling is ridiculous. And then he'll finish one of us with a moonsault. I love it. I absolutely love it. Wrestling is so daft. I love it. I'm just going to say right now, Pierre's the best wrestler in the world right now. I'm... He is certainly up there. He is certainly up there. <laughs> just for, for his, I think when you can, everything being considered, he is absolutely up there. <clears throat> Like his age and and the, and his and the fact that he's reinvented himself to such an extent. Is is he the most unlikely comeback story ever, not injury related in history? Um, ooh, 
I'm trying to think of, of somebody who's made a, a similar re- reinvention and comeback in recent years. Um, it's difficult to pick one, isn't it? It really is. We're not. We're not, we're not talking Jushin Liger returning from a brain tumor or Dana Bryan, you know, being clear from concussions. We're talking like non, non-medical, non-physical issues. Just he went away. We kind of forgot about him. And then he comes back with a completely new gimmick, and all of a sudden he, he's the coolest mf on the planet. Yeah, and it's it's more the fact that he's, comp- and he's, his stock is probably greater now than it was then. He had a match in 1995 with Bret Hart at one of the in-your-houses, which I hope we get to that one day. That was incredible. They were just doing all this high-concept stuff to one another. If they had that match now, people would be messing themselves over it. Oh God! It was, it was 1995. If they had like in 2019, if you put if if Pierre had that match with Seth Rollins, everybody'd be talking about it. That's how good it was. But, but my goodness, this the fact that he's in this match here and he just won the Ring of Honor Tight Belts over the weekend. That's incredible. Unreal. Well done. Well done, PCO. Maybe now All he's about to win to the IC title. Well, he's, he's getting very close here. He's, he's down to the last six. Bobby Heenan get, has one great line here, as McMahon points out the the fact that Martel and the Quebecers are all from Canada, that they share that bond. And Heenan goes, and Adam bombs the Third Mile Island. That's like Canada. <laughs> yeah. It's like anything that's not America is basically abroad. Well, Third Mile Island's part of Pennsylvania, actually. It is, it is in, in the U.S. It's actually the site of a nuclear... It's actually a nuclear site that had a problem in 1979 that thankfully was mostly averted, we believe. <laughs> well, no, Adam Bomb clearly is indication that it wasn't. <laughs> well, yes, that's... Uh, thankfully, we... Would he have been stronger if he came from Chernobyl? Ooh. I mean... <laughs> I mean, if I mean, like, it wouldn't be the first time they've pretended that somebody who isn't from that side of the world is from that side of the world. I'm actually thinking, if Vince had gotten Ludwig Borges sooner, would he have been dumb enough, or not not dumb enough, but just indifferent enough to just say, okay, you're from Russia now, you're born out of Chernobyl, your name is, let's just call him Adam Bomb, I guess. And have have, have him Borges like, like just speaking your accent, people will think it's Russian because you're dumb marks. You're gonna be our atom bomb. Imagine Borger with the glowing eyes. I mean, like I, Vince has Vince has shown in the past how little he cares regarding um, anything outside of America. Yokozuna is a great example. The fact that the next time we hear Ludwig Borger's theme tune is at WrestleMania 17 to bring out Nikolai Volkov, the Russian. Exactly. President. Just sit at the actual atom bomb, Brian Clark, down and say, "Okay, this is this is Rocky Four. Watch the way Drago talks. You're going to talk like that." Oh, Thank you. Good, good. Here, put the singlet on. <laughs> You're from Chernobyl now. You are a Chernobylan now. Well done. I think Borger would be more, even more frightening in that role. Can you imagine? Oh, I think it'd be terrifying. The glowing eyes, the the big goggles. Or like John, John. That was the John alarm going off. There it is again, John. We need 
nuclear Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> nuclear Nikolai. Nuclear yes, Nikolai, need... please. Or Adam Borg. Adam Borger. <laughs> Borger bomb. Any of those? Both of those. Tag team. Make it happen. I mean, doing Three Mile Island was insensitive enough, but just... It wouldn't be out of the realm of, of possibility for... The, the Vince would use Chernobyl for a storyline. He's, uh... I mean, yeah, Bobby, he saying... I'm sorry, what was that? Wasn't... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, do you remember Kenzo Suzuki? Oh, yeah. You were supposed to be like Hirohito. That was either Hirohito or Hiroshima. Well, yeah, I think it was Hirohito. Like, a descendant of Hirohito. Seeking vengeance for the end of World War Two. Jeez, see, so they've they've got previous. Yeah, <laughs> there there is precedent here. Chernobyl could have been. I don't want to say fair play, but in their mind, it may have been fair play. So after after Bobby Heenan's pretty witty line about Three Mile Island being like Canada, Savage manages to fight away from atom bombs clutches and dump him out. But then is immediately swarmed by a, a gang of villainous bees and thrown over the top rope. It was like the end of um, Wicker Man. Savage and Nicholas Cage. Not the bees! <laughs> I don't know what they bees. <laughs> I'm swelling up. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, hang on. I'm still, I'm still savage being stung by bees here. Why it's <laughs> Be a man hook. Anyway. <laughs> so it's Razor versus uh, Martel and the Quebecers now. Razor's outnumbered. He's cornered. And Bobby Hand takes this point in time to note that Survivor Series next month is sold out. And I think it's sold out in one hour. Here in the most dramatic part of the match, in which we're going to 
parlay ourselves into a match to determine the new Intercontinental Champion. I mean, just, oh, by the way, we're doing great financially. <laughs> <laughs> the Bolton Garden sold out. Everything's going great. Tickets all went in one hour. Or, that's Cody Rhodes goes, an hour. <laughs> Got a great spot here. Cool story, bro. <laughs> While him and a uh, four-year-old Nick Jackson enjoy their popcorn watching this match. Nice. Got a great spot here as Razor avoids a triple drop kick. He's thrown into the ropes. He hooks he hooks it with his arms, and Martel, Jacques, and Pierre all go ass over tea kettle and just splat at the same time. That was, that was I mean, like, the thing is, however that would have landed, they were going to hurt themselves. Pretty much, <laughs> it's, it's three guys going up at the same time. But Razor can't uh, hold off the group beating much longer. He's dead on his feet at this point. They're just taking turns. Two guys holding him. One guy smacking him around and kicking him. Razor manages to drop Martel with a pair of kicks. but So the Quebecers pair off on him. Pierre charges. Razor ducks. Pierre clotheslines Jacques over the ropes. And the PCO is so stunned by this turn of events that Razor just grabs him and launches him over. So it's Razor Ramon and Rick Martel, co-winners of this match. And I love the moment that the moment that they that the, the the ending happened, and we look at Razor Ramon, who is immediately sort of rejuvenated, and he's just calling on Rick Martel, like looks fired up, like he looks like a star at this point. Yeah, he's doing the bringing on gesture with his hands while doing the double stomp that was part of his me 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 yeah taunt. And, Mar- and Martel's ready to go right now. We got four referees separating them. I think what they should have done was play both guys' music at the same time. <laughs> just that would have just sounded like chaos. Yes, the combination of a razor's downbeat club music, along with Martel's saxophone music at the same time. <laughs> Actually, that may have turned out okay. I mean, I'm I'm no DJ or whatever, but that may have worked. Bloody hell, that'd have been brilliant. I will say that was a pretty good battle royal for the most part, even though there wasn't much in the way of story activities throughout. I thought it was pretty, you know, briskly paced, and there's always something going on. No, I liked it. I thought it was. I thought like the the, the it's been such a simple but effective hype for for a for, for the concept of we need a new IC champion. There's a battle royal next week. Last two, they're going to fight for the belt. So it just and it everybody from the commentators to the wrestlers being interviewed about it made it feel like a big deal. And if you make something feel like a big deal, then you're going to think it's a big deal, and you're going to act mm-hmm. like it's a big deal. I gotta say that it was pretty curious putting Rick Martel in there as the other finalist because he'd been gone for a while throughout that year. And I came across an interesting theory the other day. I was watching the the series of videos from Joe Gagne, the Funtime Wrestling Arcade series, where he watched, where he reviews old wrestling video games. Yes, you, and thank you for sending me the King of the Ring one. It was wonderful watching. <laughs> Do you see now what I, why I, I was dreading talking about that game? Yes, I totally get it now. It was bloody awful. Yes, I got that for Christmas 93, and I was envious of my friend who had a, a better system and Royal Rumble for it. Which which segues into Royal Rumble. The Sega Genesis version of that game that came out in 93 had Rick Martel on it for reasons. No Yokozuna, no Bambi and Bigelow, no Tatanka, but it had friggin' Rick Martel, and I love Rick Martel. But he was not in the top 25 guys in the company at that point. It was a wonder how they chose certain people to be in the games like that. Because they're always a bit random. 
Like, is, is, it, is it the same one that has um, the narcissist Lex Luger in? It does have the narcissist, and it has your favorite Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Obviously. Yeah. So Joe Gagne posed a theory is saying, is that why they put Martell in the finals of this Battle Royal? Because they were trying to justify him being on the video game since it came out around that time? Mm-hmm. Could, could very well be. Yeah. It, I think that, if I recall correctly, there's like 12 guys on both games, Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. And the, and the seven guys who were on both games were Undertaker, Brett, Savage, Crush, Sean, Luger, and Razor. Pretty solid group. But there's five differences on the games. Super Nintendo had Yoko, Flair, Mr. Perfect, Tatanka, and the Million Dollar Man. Sega, instead of those five, had Martel, Duggan, Hogan, IRS, and Papa Shango. I wonder why they thought one console would appeal to having Papa Shango more so than the other. Well, I mean, he he's kind of a cool-looking character, but I, I don't get why Sega was more enamored with him over, say, the world champion Yokozuna. <laughs> and why was it why wasn't Bam on either game? Was Bam Bam was the tourist. I wonder whether it was his size, whether it was his dimensions that put them off putting him in. In fact, I wonder why a lot of people like Rick Martel was used in there because he's probably a relatively easy character to make. Well, Bam Bam was on the Raw game that came out the following year. Yeah, but which, the, the quality was much of the game was to, much to better, a Royal Rumble. surely. Uh, yes, and it did give us Luna Vachon doing the reverse flying elbow for some reason. But, but yeah, so it's Razor versus Martel next week on Monday Night Raw for the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. Nice, and do you know what? I'm cool match. with that. I'm cool with that because it's a it's a it's a guy who's come back and and can go, and it's a new guy who's going to be the face going forward. I'm cool with that. So. So after that, we go to the unbelievable ad with the very hot housewife and the slobbish husband laying in bed together. We discussed this three weeks ago. You were appalled by this ad, I recall. I just find it funny how they <laughs> how the, they uh, they dress up the typical wrestling fan as just this fat, balding super geek who is who has the affection of a woman who is way out of his league. Who, who all, all she wants is to make special naughty time with him. And he's like, I can't because I'm tired. Oh, wait, the wrestling's on. Like, it's offensive on all angles, really. All she wants to do is watch the All Japan Tag League. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that had been how it paid off, I'd have been fine with it. Well, why can't we watch Anson and Baba? <laughs> <laughs> because Stan Hansen has a very high class of fan. I'd have been totally fine if that had been the payoff. So up next we have the Heavenly Bodies versus... It's supposed to be Scott Taylor and Mark Thomas, but either as a rib or from Vince's own flub, he inverted their names. So we have Mark Taylor and Scott Thomas. Scott Taylor, of course, would be the future Scotty Too Hotty. Scotty Too Hotty, getting a show in on Raw. Now this was the part of the show that made me very unhappy. Because Jim Cornette... Because Jim Cornette's doing his opening spiel, and Bobby Heenan's talking over him. Why? I do not know. I want to hear Cornette. I I, I this annoyed me, actually. Vince and Bobby uh, 
do my head in here when Jim Cornette is talking and they both decide to talk all over him. Oh, it's infuriating. I mean, it's it's Cornette. It's not like it's someone that, that that's so embarrassing on the mic that you have to cover for them. This is Jim Fred and Cornette. And but no, he's gonna make references about Shannon Doherty's honeymoon, which that's a dated reference. It's that they're not really adding anything to the conversation at all. Yeah, it's like it's like hey, I remember this. Hey, there's this thing in the news that shows that we're fresh. Anyway, here's a match. And but Shen- you know what? In this match, here come the okay. So the heavily bodies and Jim Cornette. We haven't heard what they've said because Vince and Bobby are talking all over it. They don't need to talk with their mouths because they talk with their moves. My goodness, they were impressive. Yeah, the heavenly bodies hit a hit a lot of uh, a lot of nifty moves in this match. They, they really were the revival of their day. Do you know what they were? Because there's like they're just coming out with very unique offense. Um, the moves that I've got here: uh, springboard shoulder block, which was the rope, which was flubbed at one point because because Delray fell way short of the guy. Still looks all right. Um, almost almost killed him. Spine buster off the rope. Yeah, that was really cool. The elevated hand guy to Tom Bridge on the middle rope, and Pritchard comes off with the spine buster. It was and I've got it. I have to, though, take a little bit of umbrage with one of the big moves in the finish. Well, would this be the move where uh, I'm thinking it was, it was Delray hooked Scott Taylor for a front face lock, and Pritchard came up the ropes and clotheslined his own partner so that he fell back into a DDT? That's the one. Ah, uh, yes. It's only because Jim Cornette gives so much grief if Ricochet spends less than a second selling a move. He's on his case. Like, oh, you flipped and then you instantly saw what was coming. You haven't reacted to the move. Jim Cornette gives so much grief to wrestlers who he don't believe sell enough. And there he is watching his own tag team <laughs> clothesline each other to perform a move. Well, yeah. I mean, Just it wasn't like, a... I, don't, I, could, I could have let that go and found it hilarious had anybody other than Jim Cornette been ringside going, yeah, that's a great move. Well done. Like, Jimmy now. Away, man. I would agree with you even more if it was Stan Hansen clotheslining Delray. If Stan Hansen had clotheslined Delray, Delray would be dead. Yes, you would need two two body bags to bring out for that at that point, because because Delray would have fallen back so hard that Scott Taylor's head would have split completely open. But yes, that was a it was a creative finish. Absolutely. What was really weird during this match was hearing Bobby Heenan discuss the Rock and Roll Express. It's, yeah, it's a, like it's interesting how they're getting i mean they're a team that will keep popping up in the wwf on and off over the next like six or seven years at this point well a lot more very very soon because 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 ricky morton and robert gibson who who vince knew nothing about he once asked Cornette, which one's ricky which one's robert standard vince they will meet the heavenly bodies on the on WBF terrain very, very soon. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it, even if the city of Boston wasn't. Well, I'm intrigued. I'm looking for, like, they're not a bad tag team by any stretch of the imagination. They're certainly worse. So bring them on. Bring them on. I think the best spot of this match that was the first one where Tom Pritchard was in there with Mark Thomas, who is pretty impressively sculpted. 
He's flexing and prep Pritchard. Pritchard says, go on and flex. Thomas turns, flexes his muscles, and Pritchard just gives him a chop block. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I have a question regarding the commentary um, before we wrap up this match. Okay. Vince McMahon says, Mark Taylor having his problems while Scott Taylor's in the ring. And you've mentioned at the start, like, Vince gets them mixed up. At this point, and, and also this is referenced in the Battle Royal when MVP is in there and Vince is going, who's that guy? Now, are we meant to know at this point that Vince is running the company? I don't believe so. Because I was going to say, I'd be a bit upset if the guy running the company hasn't got a Scooby-Doo who half the people are. I think there was a point in the match where he actually called Taylor Scott Taylor. Says, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark Taylor. Like, like He corrected himself genuinely. But then he, he recorrected himself to the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> just, you, just, you just shake your head. Bless you, Scott Taylor. Just keep just keep on plugging away. You may become a <laughs> WWF champion in a few years' time. Under the name Marky Too Smarky. <laughs> oh, that would have been a, a far better imper- impersonation. So we have footage now of Doink the Clown messing with Bam Bam Bigelow. It all, it, it all started at a recent uh, Superstars taping. Bigelow had just squashed somebody. He was heading on out. Him and Luna are walking up the aisle when Doink makes his entrance. He's got two buckets, as he is wont to carry. Bigelow and Doink have a little confrontation. Doink goes all Rift Taylor and throws a bucket full of confetti on Bam Bam. And Bam Bam, instead of beating the crap out of him right then and there for even messing up his duds a little bit, just threatens him. So like, you know, if you ever do that again, blah, 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 blah. So then Luna's still yelling at Doink. Bigelow's already leaving because Bigelow's just had enough for the day. Luna's rasping in her witch-like voice. So Doink thumps an entire bucket of water over her head. Doesn't throw it out, just overturns it over top of her head and, and puts a bucket on her head. Just dumps it all. And this leads to a very, very elaborate sequence. But first I have to ask, Tom, how would you describe Luna's outfit here? Um, damaged. Uh, like like, yes, like um, she's, she's walked sort of through a saw. <laughs> it, looks, it looks very much Mad Max, which I quite like. If Sable had worn this in 1999, in an era where anything went, I think, we, I think everybody's reaction would have been, wow, that's way too liberal with the uh, lack of attire there. It was it was quite showy, for lack of a better term. Didn't leave much to the imagination. No, it did not. So Bigelow runs back out there. He's chasing Doink around the ring. There's a jobber in the ring wearing a... Well, not wearing, but he has a beautiful blonde mullet, which was going out of style at the time, unfortunately. Luna runs out there. She's busy. Uh, you know, she's very upset about this turn of events. And she hear, she's very, very unhappy. She runs into the ring for some reason. Bigelow's still chasing Doink, can't catch him. Doink's hiding under the ring. The jobber's actually trying to console Luna and see if she's okay. Oh, and that Luna was just, adorable. It was, and, and Luna, like, like an angry house cat, just keeps clawing at him to get him away from her. So Bigelow's, he's perplexed, he can't find Doink. He sees, he sees poor mulleted jobber putting his hand on his girl, runs to the ring and beats the living crap out of him on the spot. That was kind of funny, actually. That was cute. That, I like that whole bit. That was fun. So while Bigelow is uh, mulling Mike Awesome Jr. here, Dwayne goes to the aisle way. 
takes either a camera cable or some sort of wire and ties it to the guardrails in the aisleway. Jumps back over, pulls a broom out from under the ring, gets in there and hits Bam Bam in the back of the head with it. Then he runs to the floor, jumps over the wire which Bam, which Bam Bam has not seen, taunts him from behind it. Bam Bam tries to ch charges at him, falls over the wire, <laughs> does a total flip and just lands on his face. It was wonderful. Excellent work. Like, I was like, face doing's one great moment. See that? Yeah. I mean, we're laughing now, but I think in a few moments' time, we're going to see a, a, a very sad future to one of the most interesting characters in all of WWF at this point. Yes, unfortunately. But I have to add it at the denouement of this segment here. They show in slow motion the part where Dwayne puts the bucket over Luna's head again, and Vince is mocking Luna like a total dick. Like, 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 Luna. We see Luna's face, and she's like almost dejected at what's just happened. She's just, she's, uh, like, she's about to cry. Vince, Vince goes, goes ah, 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 and then goes, ha, 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 just laughs at her misfortune. Just that guttural laugh. I think Vince has a habit of he will over and he will over egg the pudding, as it were, <laughs> to make sure that everybody knows that she's a bad guy. Something bad happened to her. She deserves it. Ha, 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 ha. She probably would have left just as much if she'd been in a car accident or something. Ah, she deserved it. She's a heel. She deserved it for what she did to Mark Thomas Taylor, whatever his name is. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. No, three count. <laughs> malfunction, malfunction. Bruce, look that up. Tell me who that is. <laughs> I sound smart on the air. <laughs> so then we come to the most surreal moment of the show. We have the ring card girl walking around the ring. It's some blonde who I don't really recognize. It's not Themis. And Vince talks about Linda. This, this, is that Linda? Yeah. This this, this caught my ear because he's, he's asking the ring girl. Is he, he does say, is that Linda? It's like, what, your I'm wife? Thinking, yes. This, is he confusing this you know, rather shapely blonde for his wife, Linda McMahon, future uh, part of Donald Trump's cabinet? <laughs> But 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 no, he's actually plugging a USA Network movie starring or called Linda, while those ring girls walking around, and boy did that sound like something else when when he started going to that plug. It was it was quite awkward the way he got into it. I think he went in with good intention of going, oh, is that Linda? Oh, I don't know if that is Linda, but we're looking for Linda, and t t later on tonight, very <laughs> awkward. Yes. It... What was the program uh, called again? It was called. It was just called Linda. It, it was, was just called it, Linda. It was a TV movie. I'm looking it up right now. Excellent. I'm so glad you are. <laughs> I remember. I, I remember Ted McGinley was in it, and and he's in everything. He was uh he was Jefferson Darcy on Married with Children. He he was on he, he was on the, he was on the later years of Happy Days. He, he's synonymous with being the guy that when he's cast on your show, it's canceled shortly thereafter. Like he, 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 oh really? Is he that cursed? Yeah. Oh bless him! He's actually acknowledged the meme also in real life. Like he, he takes no uh, you know offense to it at all. He, he's been on various shows and where he's like Fantasy Island. He was on one time and that was like Love Boat. And he, that was the end of the show. After that, yeah, he he has like a kiss of death except for Married with Children, which was actually enhanced with him on it. Although I love the Steve Rhodes who was on before him. Okay, so here's the plot summary of Linda. 
Plot summary, it is a crime drama thriller. Two couples, the Callies and the Jeffreys, have been friends for about a year. They spend so much time together, they decide to vacation together in Florida. Jeff and Linda are secretly having an affair. They spend so much time together that their spouses become suspicious. Events spiral out of control. One spouse is dead and another is shot. The one innocent person is framed for murder. Da da da, Linda. I should point out that Linda was that Linda was played by Virginia Madsen, who, who I believe had, had had a rather decent career for herself. She wasn't Candyman. Um, oh yeah, she was also in Sideways. I forgot about that movie. Okay, so she had um, some decent films to her credit. This is not one of them, I assume. See, I'm going to the IMDb rating for it now. 292 votes. It has a 5.7 rating. It's not terrible. It could be worse. It could be uh, Madness the Hands of Fate level. True but story. Um, uh, I The other weekend... I was uh, at a video game rap party mm-hmm. um, for a, a, a video game that I've done the voice for. And the guy that made that game has actually made a video game version of Manos in the Hands of Fate. No kidding. An officially licensed game. And it's available, I do believe, last time I checked, it was still available on the App Store. I'm going to jump onto the App Store and see if it is still there. But it wow, it's, a... almost, it's almost as awesome as the uh, as the room game that you could play on Newgrounds.com. Oh yeah, I remember that. Why can't Vince get Tom, get Tommy Wiseau to host WrestleMania? Sadly, Manos in the Hands of Fate not available on the App Store right oh. now. But if it does change, I will let you know. But no, he made that. So I just funny when you mentioned that it was a nice degrees of separation to drop that in. I've decided my new favorite commentary team would be Tommy Wiseau and Stevie Ray. Oh, my God. Well, if they're, if they're both potentially there at WrestleMania, we could have the most wonderful tie. <laughs> so our next match is going to feature Doink the Clown versus Corey Student. He did not hit him. He did not. Oh, hi, Marks. Oh, hi, Marks. <laughs> oh, hi, Smarks. <laughs> I mean, do you know what? thing is, if you put them two in the commentary booth for the main event of WrestleMania, it's going to be about seven hours into the night, maybe nine. Like, we're going to be too tired to care. We're going to just support that no end. <laughs> you are tearing me apart, Luna. <laughs> More Tommy Wiseau in wrestling, please. Thank you. Tommy, are you coming up with your commentary? In a few minutes, bitch. <laughs> You're my favorite so... customer. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Kitty. Oh, no, doggy. It's a nice doggy. Yes, that's it. It's a Winston Davy Boy's dog. Nice doggy. Nice doggy. If you haven't seen the room, this is all going over your head. We're very sorry. No, we're not. Actually, no, we're not. You're right. <laughs> so, Stoink versus Corey Student, who looks like the most generic creator wrestler ever. He Bald looks like he looks like somebody attempted to make Dwayne Gill on on WWF Warzone for the PlayStation. <laughs> yes, you only had so many creative slots, but by God, you're gonna use one on Dwayne Gill. 
There's, there's only, yeah, you've got limited slots and very limited options in terms of attire. So you've got to do what you've got to do. That looks like somebody's attempt to make Dwayne Gill on WWF Warzone. I had had to delete Tom Stone just to create him. <laughs> I, had to, I had to delete L.A. Gore. I'm kidding. I'd never delete L.A. Gore. No, no, he, he's safe forever. L.A. Gore, give us three rings, mate. So Dwayne rides the ring on a radio flyer wagon. He's got balloons with him. And he's throwing popcorn and cotton candy to the crowd. And I wrote that damn babyface music. And yeah, that's it. We've now lost the creepy Doink the Clown music. And we have been just... It's been completely replaced by the the full circus clown funfair music. Yes, Doink has now jumped the shark. And Bobby Heenan... Jumped the shark. It's so sad. But Bobby Heenan says he's not that funny. And I concur. He's less funny now. Less funny than he was the other week. <laughs> We have this. Uh, we have this little thing before the match where Doink pulls a bucket out from underneath. Vince water again. He he gestures over to Bobby Heenan. Vince gives him up. Bruce grabs some paper from the table, pulls him away, and cases a rib of some sort. So Doink throws a bucket at Heenan, and it all this is popcorn. But Heenan is so mentally paralyzed by what's going on that he thinks it's water and says, "I'm freezing! I'm freezing!" Before it's like it's popcorn, you idiot. That was a great reaction by Bobby, though. God bless Bobby. God bless you, Bobby. So back in the ring, born it still still is Matt Bourne for the time being, in it in just a soul killing part of his career. He wrestles student down. Heenan gets Heenan saves his match with one great line because Earl happens referee in here, and he says, "There was a one decent haircut in that ring." <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. Uh, Doink beats the crap out of student for a bit. Whoopi Cushion finishes. Then Bam Bam and Luna arrive. Literally the moment the three count goes down, Bam Bam and Luna are down the uh, down the ramp. It is funny. It is funny watching them walk down to Doink's music, by the way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a weird retcon that we don't need. <laughs> it's like mentioning... It's like... <laughs> it is like mixing and matching theme songs on video games, like giving uh, you know, Vince Mickey James' entrance. I find it's more fun to give Brock Lesnar Molina's entrance. Oh, God. <laughs> Happy nightmares. That's <laughs> better than Rikishi, I guess. Oh, jeez. Someone clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> What's so, the name of our lad that left stains on the on the canvas a few weeks ago? Peter Weeks. <laughs> Peter's back. <laughs> Rikishi. <laughs> oh, God. And Keith had to walk in that barefoot afterwards. <laughs> anyway. So Bigelow's being held back by referees, but he does the next best thing. He takes the radio flyer wagon, and he gives it forearm smashes. He just destroys this wagon. It's quite it's quite captivating watching Bam Bam Bigelow destroy this wagon. And Tony's just sitting there kind of half-shocked, but still laughing a little bit. And Bigelow just pulverizes it. Give us, give us an idea of what's going to happen to Doink over this shoot that will last the next six months. Oh, really? Of course, because it goes, oh my God, you're right. Because this goes we, on to Mania 10. We have six months to enjoy Bam Bam oh versus Doink. Oh my God. But don't worry, because Doink will not be fighting Bam Bam and Luna alone. He will get some help very, very soon. Oh, jeez. But you know what's funny? And 
We are now, obviously, as you have said there, there is a, there is an addition coming to the Doink character that I'm terrified by. But we have this feud now for the next six, next six months. We as fans get itchy and annoyed when Braun Strowman faces Kevin Owens for four weeks in a row. Six <laughs> months of Bam Bam Bigelow and Doink the Clown. Well, keep in mind, you weren't overexposed to the characters every single week. That's very true. That is very true. Like, they'll, they'll be, it'll just sort of jump back and forth. Stuff had time to breathe. There was only five pay-per-views a year. Yes, that is actually very true. I, I miss those days. Bring them back. I mean, not all that stuff. I mean, you, you can leave all, you know, the Iker Pro and stuff there, but everything else you can bring. So, after that, we, we have some time to kill here because... Apparently, this show ran very short, despite having one match that went twenty minutes. I, I was, I did feel like because they were they were filling for time at commentary, and they threw to a break, and then they came back and they were still on commentary and they were still talking, and then the show ended. So like, there was obvious they they'd fallen a little bit short in the timings. There was a funny moment here where he is not only eating the errant popcorn because hey, it's it's there and it's free, but he, he goes on this anti doink tirade and he pounds his fist into the table. And immediately sells it as though he hurt his own hand. Whilst... I saw that. And, the, and again, it's another side of how brilliant Bobby Heenan is because he did it, and he and he didn't break the conversation he's having. But you can just see him <laughs> bang the table and then just sort of try and stretch out his fingers like he's in discomfort. Doesn't acknowledge it. Vince doesn't acknowledge it. It just happens and it's glorious. Bobby Heenan, man. It was naked gun-like subtlety where it's happening right in front of your face. It was so and, good. And, and and you see it, but they're still carrying on in deadpan, which is which made it hilarious. So uh, after that, we can't... Vince, um, Vince actually comes out at the, at the end of this with a really good line to plug the next show. And I've been giving him a lot of grief about not knowing who wrestlers are and talking over Jim Cornette. But actually, the line he comes out with to encapsulate the IC title match, the the match to crown the undisputed Intercontinental Champion next week when he says, what happens? Find out what happens when Machismo meets Manufique. He does love his alliteration. That's a great line, though, to plug Ramon versus Martel. What I got out of that, Vince justified where Martel was his entire time. Apparently he was in Australia. Well, they've got to explain a little bit, like, why he's just not been around. Yeah, it's like, well, what was he doing in Australia? I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure they're implying that he was, like, modeling or whatever, or he was just vacationing there, you know, enjoying the high life of being a, uh, you know, just kind of like a man of leisure, sort of like that the, 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 you know, Rick the model would lead. But they were, they were vague. It's like, he could be, like, hunting wallabies. We don't know what he's doing down there. Is he... Maybe he, he was auditioning for Neighbours, didn't get the job, so he just went and punched a load of koala bears. Or for Breaker Morant, the musical. John, <laughs> tell us, using Photoshop, what Rick Martel was doing in Australia. <laughs> and don't say training Nathan Jones, because nobody did. Plus, Nathan Jones would have been about three at this point, and probably in prison. <laughs> Poor Nathan Jones. <laughs> So that pretty much wraps up this show. It was very straightforward, and it just it just flowed from beginning to end. There, there was no almost I almost want to say no filler, but there was filler. But yet it it never felt it never felt long to me. It's a very it was a very 
basic show in the sense it was a one-match show. It was all about that battle royal. Uh, but on top of that, we got the beginning of a six-month feud. <laughs> Hooray. I, I can't wait. And we got a good showing by the Heavenly Bodies. So we got a little bit of bonus in there, but it was all about that battle royal for me. It was all about them um, painting Razor Ramon as the guy who is going to be the, 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 the leader of this division going forward. And I don't think we've, we've talked on that enough. Like, what a great choice and what a great time this is for Razor Ramon, who looks like a million dollars, who clearly is the direction the company is going in and clearly going to be the man to be the cornerstone of that intercontinental division for years to come. It's funny because right now, Scott Keith, the longtime internet reviewer, on his blog, he's reviewing episodes of WF Superstars from 92 that are on the network. And he's right around the point where Razor Ramon starts to debut when those vignettes of his you know, down on South Beach, Miami, started playing on, on the shows every week. And in hindsight, he was like the biggest star in the company from, right from the jump. These vignettes were, were so well produced, he came off like an absolute star from day one. Just how he carried himself in that role. I mean, it's a white guy from Minnesota playing Tony Montana, which is amazing. But it's like, how is he never world champion, Razor Ramon? It is one of the biggest upsets, I think, in wrestling. The fact that Razor Ramon never ascended completely to main event status. He had everything you could want in the main eventer. The look, the size, the swagger, the charisma. He was a capable wrestler inside the ring. He knew how to work the crowd. He carried himself like a... Like, like, as a genuine star, he was amazing. Everything do you think he if did, he hadn't been enticed away by the, the money in WCW, do you think maybe he would have stayed and become what we always thought he would be? I think Vince only saw a certain ceiling for him after a while, mm. unfortunately. And I think in hindsight, in 2020, he should have been the one to beat back on the 94 instead of Diesel. That was your Hogan right there was Razor. But he's not tall enough. He was 6'7". Because that size of diesel. <laughs> Razor could have been the Hogan, I think. Maybe not as big as what Hogan was in the 80s, but in, in a time where you need someone to be a reliable star, he could have been that guy. Somebody a bit different. Somebody a bit fresh. Somebody that, that really personifies a new era. Somebody that can go. Somebody that can carry it. And some, it's almost He would al almost been like a pre-Steve Austin. In the sense that here's a guy who is fundamentally his nickname is the bad guy. He is a, he's a bad he's a bad guy. He's he's not a nice person, but here he is, like being exactly who he is and getting cheered out of the building for it. And I'll say this compared to Kevin Nash, no disrespect to him, who was a very effective promo. But Razor as a smiling baby face, less so than Diesel, would have made you say, What an effing cornball. Yeah, very true. Mm. Razor as a good guy was still Razor Ramon. He may not, he may not have had as mean a streak as as bad guy Razor, but he was still incredibly cool. Yeah, he was still like a he was still like a a good, a, a, he was he, I think the way you said it was just perfect. He was still cool. He was still just a cool guy. <laughs> he he had the Hulk Hogan superheroism with the Randy Savage swagger. Nice, I like that. Keep that. Use that in an article. <laughs> Like it, I like too, it. Yes. So next week, we're going to see whether Razor Ramon can truly ascend to main event status over a freshly back from Australia model Rick Martel. Mm -hmm. 
And I do believe next week, have I got this right, that we be three? Uh, yes, we do be three next week. Um, Photoshop John, John Eiley, our very good friend, will be joining us for a special edition of the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. And it's longer overdue, I must say. I am so, so excited to have John Eiley on this show. Like, to me, he's, he has been arguably one of the more important parts of this podcast. <laughs> just to have somebody that we can just go, John, can you draw some, can you do some graphics for us, mate? And the, the, sell the show in such a unique way and give us that WTF retweet factor. I'm, I'm so happy that John is there. And John does, and I'd like to point out that John does it out of the goodness of his heart in his own free time. Like John is, John is doing that because he likes to do it and he enjoys being, and, and we are honoured that he spends his time listening to us and helping us. So what better way can we repay him than say, get on this show with us and talk about Raw, get in the DeLorean, there's room in the back, let's go back well, in time, John. Well, we could pay him, but you know that's too hard. Are you kidding? Hang on. <laughs> I've got about 12 pence here. <laughs> I think it's better just having him on the show. What do you think? Yeah, let's just do that. Forget the pay bit. Until <laughs> uh, next week, he is at JRH Writing. I am at Tom Campbell. Together, we are at Cultaholic. Do join us next week. John's going to be there. John! John! Love you, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.